Good morning, everybody. That was so much better. Usually I have to ask for it twice. Yes, we're catching on. It's good stuff. So glad to be here. Welcome to Celebration Center and week three of our series, From the Ashes. And like um, this series, we're taking a look at different aspects of Jesus' life and how can lead, that leads up into Easter, different attributes of his that we can uh, tap into and apply to ourselves. And uh, it's, it's been fun to kind of process through different elements of the life of Jesus together. Uh, week one, we talked about temptation. Uh, last week, we talked about Christ-like humility. And today, we're going to talk about contemplation or being still and quiet and having a prayer life with God. So before we dive into that, let me pray for you, and, um, and we'll get started. God, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for these people. I pray that as we continue our series and dive into your word more, God, you, uh, again, you sit at every uh, you sit at every chair, you touch every heart, God, that I pray that no one that comes here today leaves the same because they had a genuine encounter with you and that you all teach us something more each and every minute that we're here today. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. Now, why ashes? I know that in the first week we talked about it, last week I didn't, but I'm using kind of ashes as our our base for this because sometimes when life hits you, and like we said in 2020, man, life hit us all really hard. Life can feel like a pile of ashes. You're burned out, done, and just spent. But Jesus has the ability to raise us from those ashes and do something in us incredible and brand new. And so that's why we're using this, this title, From the Ashes, because we are never beyond repair. You may feel like you're broken, but you are never beyond the ability of Jesus to raise you up and do a brand new thing in your life, no matter where you are. So you can always be raised from the ashes. Now, People in ministry, I've been in ministry for a long time. I know I'm not, I'm, I'm only in my 30s, but I've been in ministry for most of my life. And I've had a lot of great mentors over the years and people that I've never met but, but looked at online and I've seen kind of their, their leadership and people that I have worked with. But there's a common theme amongst people in ministry as they get to their, their finishing line. When they get to the point where they say they're done, there's a lot of things that they say. And one of the most common things I hear is they say they had wished they were more devoted to a more powerful and purposeful life of prayer. It, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the business of doing church that sometimes we can forget to just stop and pray. And so one of my just ministry idols, Billy Graham, an incredible man of God. I mean, this guy shared the gospel with who knows how many hundreds of thousands or even millions of people his words have reached. But just an incredible man who devoted his life to God. As he was nearing retirement, they did an interview with him in one of his lines, I will never, ever forget. The interviewer asked him, said, so, Mr. Graham, if you could change anything, anything in your ministry, what would you change? And here I am thinking, don't change anything, right? I mean, this man's phenomenal, what he's done. But he said a line I'll never forget. He said, I would have done less, and I would have prayed more. And I remember thinking, what? It was a mind-blowing statement to go, this man, and he did, tons. I remember I was in middle school and actually went to one of his Billy Graham crusades. I saw Michael W. Smith and DC Talk on the stage, and, and Billy Graham spoke. I didn't know it at the time, but my future wife was at the exact same conference. But it's, it's one of those things that I remember seeing and hearing him speak, and it's so cool to hear him say, I would have done less, blows my mind. But he, had, he nailed it, though. He said, I would have done less, and I would have prayed more. I can only imagine how many people are in heaven right now because he influenced their life and started them on that trek to meet Jesus. How many people are waiting, we're waiting for him in heaven? How many people are here, they get, when they get up there, they get to say, hey, you influenced me. You were part of my life. And then to know that he says, well, 
I would have prayed more and done a lot less if I could do it all over again. That carries some weight for me. I think one of the major issues we all share in life is, is the busyness and pace of life, right? Now, some people told me that Washington moves quickly. Coming from the Bay Area in California, that area moved really quick. But even, even though wherever you are in your life, we all have a tendency to move quickly. That's just kind of human nature now. We want things quick. We do things fast. I was actually told by some people here, I said, hey, Pastor Dustin, I love your messages. One thing, you talk fast. I know, I'm sorry. I'm working on it. Believe me, I used to talk a lot faster. Now, it's true, I talk fast, I'm working on it, but, but we live in a society that just says, go, go, go. Every place now is offering free expedited shipping. Amazon Prime has ruined our expectations for when we can get things, right? Why go down to the store and you know, spend all this time when I can just order it and have it here in two days, but what happens when you see that delay notification come through in your email? Your world crumbles right there, right? For whatever that one little thing is that you ordered, you have to wait one more day, and it is just livid. You are now spending time on Amazon saying, I want you to compensate me for waiting the one day for free shipping that you offered me, right? That, that's just the world we live in right now. Life is fast. We don't have time to stop and slow down. I was, uh, my... Uh, my in-laws are here with us today, and one thing they were talking about, you know, being a, you know, what's it like being a pastor? I said, one thing I've learned in one month of being a lead pastor is there's not enough time in a week to do everything I feel like I need to do because I just want to keep going and going. But then God keeps reminding me, you've got to slow down. You've got to slow down because if you keep going and going, you're going to miss a big part of what I'm trying to do in you. And so that's what I want to talk about today, slowing down. But it's so much more than slowing down. Now, I'm going to do something with you. It may seem a little silly or cheesy, but just indulge me for a minute. I would like everybody to stand up for a sec. Do, do, a, little, do a little exercise with me. What we're going to do, I am going to look at that back clock for two minutes. What I want you guys to do, closing your eyes, no peeking, no cheating. We're not children. Some of you are, but you know what I mean. We're going to do a two-minute drill. I want you guys to close your eyes when I say go. In your mind, when you think two minutes has passed, exactly two minutes, have a seat. But I want you to close your eyes because I don't want you to be influenced by people around you. So just, when I say go, everybody got it? Really simple. Okay, so on your mark, get set, go.
I believe, time. Oh, Donald shaking his head. We had a few more seconds. But we were, some of you guys got it. Some of you guys sat down like right at the one minute mark. Right? It's like, I'm done. I don't know if you were just telling me you were done with it or you really thought that was two minutes. But, but the whole point, now just raise of hands. How many of you guys felt awkward standing there quiet for two minutes? A bunch of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, it was so hard for me not to say anything. I, w- I was dying to start giving commentary. Oh, we have our first sitter down on the right side. Who's going to follow you? Just, but, I, but I couldn't do it. But the whole point of this challenge is to draw our attention to how much, how uncomfortable it is to simply stop. To just look at life around you and say, I'm going to stop and be quiet. It's hard. It is not an easy thing to do, especially with the accustomed, we're accustomed to the noise. Sometimes um, I find that I can even have a better time falling asleep at night if I'm by myself. I turn on something to have background noise to even fall asleep. I have the hardest time sitting down, being still, and being quiet. Now, with the possibility of, of the pandemic coming maybe to an end here, you know, I, I saw Emil saying we kind of see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. We were in a season where we were forced to slow down, but so many of us are so anxious now to get back out, to get out and do things and go crazy and jump back into a crazy, fast-paced life. But it may seem no surprise, maybe it is surprising, that Scripture actually talks a lot about taking moments to stop and be still, to look at the world and just say, it is time for me to take a break and focus on something else. Now, before we get too deep, I, w- I want to un- help you understand the word contemplation I'm going to talk about. So contemplation, I'm going to use it to describe a behavior that we see in the Bible to describe a peaceful, silent, and calm time of prayer in our lives. And if you turn to Mark 135, I'm going to read a real short passage that's going to talk about this, this contemplation. So in Mark 135, it says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very short. Very short passage, but that is so vital and for so many ways that we're going to unpack today. So we see Jesus walking off early in the morning alone to pray. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up to go and pray. Now, there's a lot of things we don't know. I mean, did, did he go and did he sit in silence that whole time? Did, did he sing? Did he bring a whole list of items with him and say, you know, hey, hey, Father, this is what I've got to talk about today? Did he, did he start singing and going through his favorite psalms? We don't know, but we do know that he got up, went away from everybody else to be alone, to be silent, just something, nothing else, no distractions, him and his Father. Now, this isn't the afterthought. I love that it doesn't say Jesus got tired from his work in ministry and then went and prayed. It was he started his day. This is what he did to launch before everyone else was awake and he knew what his day was going to entail. He went off to fill up with his father. He knew it was important to connect before his day started. I think this shows us that there is power in a strong prayer life. There's power in a strong prayer life. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, sometimes when you're feeling weak, what do doctors tell you to do? Rest, right? You're you're feeling weak, you've you've just gone, you've, you've just expelled all your energy, you need to go rest. When you're feeling sick, they say, hey, go rest and recover. Um, After a football game, I played lots of sports growing up. Man, when that game was over, you'd get home and it was just rejuvenate. You gotta lay down and relax because you've gotta build up your strength for that next event, right? I love this because this passage talks about when you come to Jesus, 
when you are weary and burdened, what does he give you? He gives you rest. When your weakest moments, when you are desperately needing a refuel, he's the one that you go to and he is that rest, that person that gives you that strength to get back up to say, now we get to go take on whatever it is that's bogging me down. He's the one that can fill you up to take it on again. This applies to our physical health. This applies to our emotional health. This applies to our spiritual health. Coming to him and letting him fill up and be our rest. And honestly, who doesn't want a more powerful prayer life, right? Who, who, would, who would in their right mind say, hey, if you did this, then this is how God will fill you. This is how God will fuel you if you do these things. I can't think of anyone that would say, God filling me? God fueling me? God giving me strength? Nah. Really, it's not, that's not the, the common sense. You would think if, if there's something I can do and have, have the Spirit of God just come and fill me up and carry me through my hard times, man, I want it. And it starts here with Jesus' model of going to, away and just getting some rest. Now, I think of uh, in your life, you know, I said life happens. 2020 made me feel like I went through 12 rounds with Mike Tyson. Uh, in all reality, one round with Mike Tyson is all it would take, right? But you, you went in there and you just feel beat up. Or, and, and you think you need something to fill you up. Or, or you think of when you're driving your car. When you drive your car, what do you need to even make the thing go? You need gas. We all need gas. Now, none of us look forward to that trip to the gas station, but we all know that we need gas. But if we know if you do not put gas in your car, it's only going to take you a certain distance before it stops and it will not go any further. Man, I think our prayer life, it's just like us putting fuel in our cars. If we don't stop to refuel our tank, we don't stop to say, hey, God, I I'm going to set some time aside. I'm going to refuel. We're going to get to that point where life happens and it hits you and it hits you, and then you're just beat and you can't go anywhere else. And the whole time God's like, I'm right here. Refuel. Refuel. Take a minute. Put the gas tank in. Open my word. Spend some time. Pray with me and watch me refuel your tank. I believe every day we're like a car running on empty, running on fumes, if we don't make sure we're filling it with some time with God desperately needing that refill that can only come with him. And that refill leads to powerful moments, and we see this all throughout scripture. I think of one of the times when Paul was in prison, he's praying, and the walls literally shook. There was power in that prayer. He was spending time with God, and the walls shook, and it led to Paul being freed. Peter was imprisoned. When he was in prison, a whole group of people were praying for him, and the prison doors opened, and he was able to walk out of prison unseen. Jonah had a lot of time to contemplate in the belly of a giant fish. Three days of praying and contemplating, he he's finally cries out to God with that moment and says, I'm here, and he has this amazing prayer with God, and he's released from this fish to go do what God called him to do. Hannah, in the scripture, she wanted a child so bad, she devoted her life to praying and asking God for this child, and she gave birth to the prophet Samuel. Jabez, in scripture, only gets one verse only one verse, and he says, God, I pray for health and blessing, and he receives it. We see, and those are just a handful of examples we see in, in the Bible. When people commit their life to prayer, we see some phenomenal things happen, but it's when they decide to, they're going to commit to spending that time with God, to spend that time with Jesus, to say, this is what I'm looking for. This is how I need your help. They see it answered. They commit themselves to contemplation and prayer. Prayer is powerful. It has the ability to make the impossible seem normal because in all reality, our impossible, what we view as impossible, that's really God's starting point. He says, your mind can't even comprehend this. I've already planned that out and I can already get over it because he's so much bigger than anything that we could ever think we can't overcome. <clears throat> this happens when we intentionally set aside time for him. There's a Christian theologian named Richard Foster and he described prayer this way. 
He said, when we pray, when we genuinely pray, the real condition of our heart is revealed. This is as it should be. This is when God truly begins to work with us. The adventure is just beginning. Prayer has the power to shake walls. It has the power to rejuvenate life. It has a chance for us to grow in our faith. It is something that is too important, honestly, to not do regularly. It's too important to say this is only something I'm going to tap into when life gets hard instead of saying, hey, this is what makes my life, the ability for me to get through the hard times is because I'm already spending time here. Prayer is an essential part of this adventure we call life. I love to call life an adventure. Something my wife and I always say is on to the next adventure. Our next adventure, this one, you know, this move up here to Washington has been our next big adventure. But every series of lives, we say life's an adventure, never a dull moment. And I think prayer is an essential part of every single person's adventure. It's the most amazing avenue we have of connecting with God. And we think about this for a moment. We think of God, the creator of the entire universe, right? As little as we are compared to how big God is, he has an invitation for us to communicate with him. And, and I know Lindsay, Lindsay touched on that in worship this morning, and that was, this was not planned. She was going to talk about that, I was going to talk about this, but it, it all works together. I mean, God is so big, so magnificent, and so magnificent, and he looks at all of us in our little finite existence, and he says, I want to be with you. I choose to be with you. I'm inviting you to come talk to me. That is powerful. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we pray, our hearts begin to soften. It begins to open up, and we're inviting the ultimate creator to be a very personal, intimate part of your life. It says that we are aligning ourselves with him. When we pray, we're saying we're putting ourselves aside, and we're starting to put you first. It shows that we are saying, I want less of me, and I want more of you. Because prayer takes a lot of trust, takes a lot of faith, takes a lot of hope to know that he is going to get you through this. And a funny thing happens when you keep him the main thing, though, right? When you realize that he's the main thing, a lot of problems in life start to seem a whole lot smaller. Because when you're spending time with God, you start to see that he is a whole lot bigger than anything you could ever go through. When you understand this, you start to worry a whole lot less. And prayer and contemplation, it calms your nerves. One of my go-to verses, Philippians 4, 6, says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I used to do a fundraiser in California called the Dinner Auction, and this was our big camp fundraiser. It was one that we would do every year. It would raise a lot of money for kids to go to camp because camp could be really, really expensive. So this was all designed to lower the cost to pennies for kids to be able to go to camp. They would have to work at it. It was a huge event. We did it, I think, for 20 years at Creekside. Every year we had the Dinner Auction. And I remember the first year that I was told to be in charge of it. Through a lot of different circumstances, the person who was in charge of it was planting a church and had to leave. And so it, it kind of got dropped on me my very first year working at Creekside 11 years ago. It was like, hey, Dustin, I remember going into Pastor Terry's office and said, Dustin, the auction is only four weeks away. It's a lot of stuff hasn't happened yet. I don't know if we can make it happen. And I remember thinking, I got my call to be a pastor at camp. If we don't do the auction, kids can't go to camp. This can't fail. We need this to happen. He goes, auction's in four weeks. Can you do it? I said, yes. Part of me regretted saying yes right there in that moment because it was a lot of work for those four weeks. And it was a, a whirlwind of four weeks on the phone with companies and volunteers and food vendors just getting this thing together because there was a lot to be done. And it was just an insane four weeks. No sleep, fast-paced, focus, focus, focus. I was waking up the middle of the night taking notes on who I needed to call. It was literally insane, no sleep. 
the day before the auction, we're setting up the church, the volunteers are getting things going, I am still just like a bulldog, just going crazy. And then Paula, a dear friend of mine, who still goes to Creekside, she, uh, she saw me running around and I was freaking out. Like, I genuinely was freaking out. And she said, Dustin, when was the last time you prayed about this? When you realize that you're one of the pastors on staff and you have not prayed about your event, it is a humbling moment. It is a, I mean, I just, the guilt and the just, honestly, the shame. And I remember almost breaking just tears and I just collapsed to my knees and Paula and I prayed for the auction right there. An amazing thing happened after we prayed for the auction. The minute, I mean, no joke, the minute we said amen, it was like a weight just boof off of my shoulders. And I began to feel the sense of peace. I really felt God clearly say, we've got this. You've been working hard. We've got this. I've got this. And we went through the night. And not to say there wasn't stress moments. There were still stressful moments with an event of that magnitude. But it became the most successful auction we had ever had. And I don't say that to toot my own horn in any way because the events that transpired after that prayer clearly showed God took hold here. God took hold there. This happened when it needed to happen. This came through in a way that showed that he was in control of this thing. And when I acknowledged that, when I decided it's time to put me aside and know that God, we're doing this for you so kids can have an encounter with you, so kids' lives can be changed by meeting you, everything changed. And it was an incredibly powerful moment when worry went away, stress dropped, and the results were only because of God. Prayer is powerful. Prayer teaches patience. Psalm 37.7 says, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in this way, by the man who carries out evil plans. And, and patience is a funny word, isn't it? Some people, I say patience, and they roll their eyes because they don't have any. You know, so the, just the uttering of the word just you know, hits you in a way you don't like. Some people have an abundance of patience. Some people may think they have patience, and then it gets tested, and you realize you do not have patience. Right? It's gone. But funny thing happens when you ask for patience you get a chance to show it, right? Like, God, give me patience. Do you really want to pray that prayer? <laughs> because God's probably going to give you a chance to say, hey, I'm giving you some, now use it. Now you get a chance to do it. But it gets put to the test. But we set aside time for prayer, and we do it consistently. Something amazing happens. The more time we spend with God, the more we begin to understand his heart for us. And when we start to put our path to the side and we start focusing on God's path, I truly believe patience comes with that. Because when you understand the way God has things laid out for you, it's typically never the way that you had it laid out. There's usually extra steps or extra turns, and it takes a growing impatience when we see his plan, when we see his goal. And when we understand his plan, it gets easier to wait on his timing. We're not a patient society. This is not an easy thing to do, but I do think that an active prayer life starts to teach patience because you see that God is patient. You see that God's personality will start to infuse your personality. You begin to understand and grow in his peace and your ability to understand and grow in patience. I also believe that contemplation and prayer brings joy. Psalms 1-2 says, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Man, when we spend time in prayer and our nerves start to calm and we start growing in patience, I think there's something else that starts to fill your heart, and this is one of the biggest things ever. You really start to feel joy. And don't mistake joy for happiness. I think happiness is something that comes and goes. A situation can make you happy for a moment. Something can happen in life that makes you like, oh, that makes you really happy. But happiness will fade. I mean, as soon as something bad happens, happiness can be gone. Like right up real fast, something can happen and take your happiness away. 
But when you have a joy that's coming from scripture, a joy of knowing that God is in control, you start to get this peace knowing that he's got you. He's got the situation. And the more you understand and pray in that, the more you realize, man, life can't take away this joy that I have. Nothing that gets thrown at me can take this away because I know who's in charge. Because I'm spending time with the one who's in charge. Because in my time I spend with him, he shows me he's in charge. And because of that, the joy doesn't go away. True joy comes from knowing how much he loves you. That no matter what, he's got this. There's a saying in my house, God's got this. I didn't start the saying, but it's something we say all the time. God's got this. And when you understand that, you start to have this joy because nothing can take God having this away from you. You allow God to get bigger. And some people may be thinking, as we, as we talk about this, where do I even start? I mean, some of you maybe have a really good prayer life, and that's great. Some, pe- some of you maybe, it's, as you think about this, think, you know what, I don't actually have a normal time or a regular time where I just get to sit down with God and say, here's my life, here's what's going on. So the question is, where do I start? What do I say? What, what do I even go do right now with this? It would seem weird to just start something having never done it. Maybe you would even feel awkward going to God. I mean, it could seriously be you. Say, you know what, God, I haven't talked to you in years. Hi. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you say? Well, going back to Richard Foster, he says this. I urge you, carry on an ongoing conversation with God about the daily stuff of life. For now, don't worry about proper praying. Just talk to God. Share your hurts. Share your sorrows. Share your joys freely and openly. God listens in compassion and love, just like we do when our kids come to us. He delights in our presence. When we do this, we will discover something of immeasurable value. We will discover that by praying, we learn to pray. I love that. We will discover that by praying, we learn to pray. Simply put, we've got to start somewhere. You gotta pick a point and say, this is how I'm going to start. Don't worry about the, the legalistic aspect of it. Just pick a time where you say, I'm gonna go talk to God. And just start talking. There's a couple principles I think that we can unpack that help us understand what it means to, to talk to God and make him the focus. The first one is this. Lift up your eyes. or Lift your eyes up. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The principle here is this, that, that throughout the day we get task-oriented, Right? We, whether we're at work or we're at home, there's a schedule. Kids got to go to school. I've got to accomplish this. I, I come into the office and I have a list of I've got to get this done today. We can become very laser focused where we are looking straight ahead at what has to happen right now. Got to do it. No time to wait. Well, we can forget about it's time sometimes to stop looking so focused forward and just take a second to look up. Take a second to look up. Forget. Forget about the world for a few minutes and lift your eyes up to God. We can forget about his compassionate care over every detail that we're so focused on. He knows about it. He knows your schedule. He knows your time crunches. He's there, and he wants us to look up. Looking up causes us to change our perspective. It causes us to change our focus from a forward focus to that upward focus. Just like in that dinner auction, I had to stop, collapse, and just look up and say, man, I am so zoned in on this. I'm forgetting that this is all for you. And when I acknowledged that, everything changed. Take time to stop what you're doing. Seriously, and some of you may even panic thinking that, but take time to stop what you're doing and schedule a time to look up. No, be reminded that he cares for you. He loves you. He wants to be a part of every task that you're doing. And know that Psalm 121 says this, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Look up. 
He's right there. He wants to be a part of it. Invite him in. Be practical. Schedule it. Make a plan. Make it. It's, if this is too important to not schedule. Too important to not have a part of your plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this reality incredibly comforting knowing that it's important to schedule this, that we can practice looking up. And there's a couple things you can do that, are, that make it kind of easier. If you're anxious or stressed, go for a walk. What we've learned living here in Washington for a month, it is much more beautiful than the Bay Area to go outside and take a walk. I mean, that, that's my mountain out there. It's a phrase I've learned. That's my mountain. And it is awesome and beautiful. Go out when you're feeling stressed, take a walk. Enjoy God's creation. This is a beautiful place. And just start talking to God on your walk. Relieve some stress just by walking. Schedule a daily time to stop whatever you're doing. Put it in your phone. To be like, set an alarm and go off. Hey, this is the time that I'm going to stop and pray. My personal time to pray is in the morning. I like to start my day with it. But schedule a time. If you're not a morning person, schedule a time a little bit into the morning. But just schedule a time where your alarm goes off and you honor it. You say, hey, I'm going to give God now. And this is going to be consistent all the time. Those are just a couple ideas, but find a place, where do you find peace? Where can you find a place to get away and be still and just spend time with God? Practice stillness. Now, Pastor Chris is here, and I know you're going to laugh at me for saying this. Practice being still. Do you know what goes through an extrovert's mind when you're told to go be still? To go be alone? To go be quiet? Panic. I mean, there's no other word to say. It is sheer panic when you're told, hey, go over there, be alone, be quiet, spend time with God. And I'm like, no people, no music, no nothing? Oh my goodness. It's, it's hard. And, and Chris, you know, I went through Discovery Ministry School with, with, with Chris leading it, and, and one of our assignments was a day with Jesus, and it wasn't go be alone, but it was go be away. And I remember, I remember panic, thinking, I can't look at my email. I can't look, I, you know, I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to be unplugged. And, and one of the assignments I actually think was a few hours of, maybe that one was even in stay, where it was a few hours of be unplugged, do nothing, just go sit and be still. And I remember freaking out leading into those minutes. I remember, I remember saying, I'm not gonna be able to turn my brain off. This, this is what's gonna cause me to fail Bible college right here, going to be quiet with God. Why would this be the thing that kicks you out? But this is gonna do me in. And I remember doing it and having the most incredible time when I carved out intentionally to be able, the ability to just go sit and be still and listen to God and say, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to unplug. I'm going to go be with Jesus. Man, I heard from him in an incredible way. And it became something that I started regularly scheduling for me to just spend some time quiet. Turn off the music, turn off the phone, and just say, all right, God, I'm going to talk with you now. Sometimes I hear him in those moments. Sometimes I don't. But I know that I'm being intentional and praying and contemplating my time with God. A couple verses talk with in Psalms talk about this. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And then Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. There's something about stillness and silence that just helps you connect with God. Something that can't be replaced, just stillness and silence. And it, it's a funny question when you think about it. What about silence is so important? What about being still? It's such a big idea, so much so that me personally, I hate the thought of it. But I think there's a great passage in a story in First Kings that talks about it. We see Elijah have an encounter with God. He says this in First Kings, First Kings 19, 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord wasn't in this massive fire. The Lord was there in a gentle whisper. And when all the noise and all the destruction stopped, God said, I'm here. There's something so powerful about saying, I'm just going to be quiet. Believe me, it's not easy. I don't like it. But there's power in it. We can lead such fast-paced, such hard, forward-moving lives that we can think it's impossible and it's improbable and just there's too much going on to take a time to stop. I'm here to say it is too important to not schedule it. It's too important to not say, God, I'm giving you this time and I'm going to do it consistently. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to be with you. The Bible tells a totally different story when we say we're too busy. Scripture says, slow down. Take a minute to be with Jesus. Jesus himself modeled it. It is a big deal. I'd like to invite the worship team back up this morning. So as we unpack, I said, prayer and contemplation, there's some questions that I have for us to 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 ponder and think about, to contemplate over, should you, should you will, through this. As we finish up, be brutally honest with yourself about something. Just kind of reflect on these. In all of your striving, in all of your hustle, in the busyness of life, in all of your appointments, activities, and your actions, are they making you a more peaceful person? Everything that you have going on, is it bringing you peace? Or do you need to take a step back and say, God, what do I need to look at? How, what do I need to work on with you so I can start to be filled with that peace? Is the grind of life, your grind, your daily hard grind, is it giving you the grounded faith that you're longing for? Are you sitting in an ash heap right now? Are you feeling totally broken and destroyed like there's nothing left and you need a notification from God that he has the answer? As you think about those questions, I want to read to you again this passage because it's so amazing. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It takes intentional effort, intentional effort to carve out time to say, Jesus, you are more important than everything else. But the intentionality, the intentionality is worth it. Culture doesn't say it's worth it. Culture doesn't say stop or slow. But if we're going to look at the Bible and say, this is the word of God that is infallible, the truth, everything here is for a reason. This is what God wrote for us. Take a time to read it, to pray, to just slow down and say, God, you are too big to get put on the back burner. You are so big, I've got to start you first. Would you stand with me? Remember, set a reminder on your phone, carve out a weekend to go look at my mountain. Do, do whatever you need to set a reminder, but start today. Pray to God, reach out to him, cry out to him and say, God, I'm starting now. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for all these people. And, and I pray, God, that, that we all learn how important prayer is. We all learn it's, it's too important to go without. And I ask that in our lives, as we focus on you, God, we just continue to offer intentionally our hearts to you. 
If we haven't started yet, we start today. If we're already going, we, we ramp it up and we go stronger, God. We know that prayer is powerful. It gives us peace. It gives us joy. And God, I pray that you just infuse that in our lives today. We thank you, love you, and everybody said amen.